welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Open your Bibles to the book of Esther. Uh, today we begin a, ser- a new sermon series on one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's called the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, there's two books in our Bible that are written by women, and that's Ruth and Esther, or at least attributed to women, or named after women. And Esther here is an interesting book. I want to give you all some background information on this so you kind of know what we're talking about when we look into this. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you the overall theme in Esther and where this whole month is going and what I want the Lord to speak to you about. And that's about what we would call the providence of God. God is working all through the story of Esther, yet you don't ever see the name Lord or God ever mentioned. But you see, the situation, the circumstances, and the movement here was all toward showing it was the Lord who's actually doing this. And that's what this story's about. And I think, I think the principle for us and in your life, you are here this morning. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And the events that occur in your life, the, the events that worry you the most, the ones that you are most anxious about, the most uncertainty about, whatever burden you have brought to church this morning, disease, illness, job problems, family problems, addiction issues, whatever it is, you want to be able to say, God, I'm giving this to you. I don't understand it. I don't quite know what's occurring right now, but Lord... I trust you. That's what it means for us to believe in the providence of God. I mean, think about our United States right now. Think how much has changed, not just in my lifetime, but maybe some of your lifetimes. It's almost like you look at our country and you almost don't recognize it. Say, where are, what's going on here? And in many ways, church life has changed a lot. And it's easy to... Compare things to the past, and maybe when you were growing up or the way things used to be, and then you look at it today, and you go, it just seems different. Is God really there? And that's the story we're going to see through this entire section in Esther. In fact, before we read Esther chapter 1, I want to read with you the main verse for this entire book that we will constantly keep going back to. Esther is someone who grew up with her parents passing away when she was a young girl. She was an orphan. Her cousin, his name is Mordecai. He is a godly man. He raised his cousin Esther. He taught her about the Lord. He instructed her in the scriptures. Esther, the Bible tells us, is the most beautiful woman in the entire nation. Not just nation, the whole world at that point. She was gorgeous, and we'll get into more of that next week. That's in chapter 2. And God has taken this young woman who's raised by her cousin, who has incredible beauty, and His purpose for her is actually to usher her in as the queen of the most powerful nation on earth at that time. But she didn't realize what was going on. Just like when we're in the midst of a storm, when we're in the midst of uncertainty, many times we don't always see the Lord 
We don't always know what's going on. And it takes someone like Mordecai to say this. And I want to read this verse for you. You don't turn there. It's in Esther 4.14. Mordecai comes up to his cousin. She, she at this point has been selected. And she is the queen of Israel. Or not of Israel. She's an Israelite. But she's the queen of Persia. A pagan nation. She had to marry the king. And he comes up to her and says, Who knows? Perhaps... You have come to your royal position for a time such as this. Esther, God has made you the queen. God has put you in this position. God has given you a voice to the king that no one else has. And he's allowed you to be in this position for this. And that's the main theme we see in this entire book. And I think for us, who knows? Maybe you're at this church. You're at this worship service. You're here this morning for a time such as this. Meaning, there's a greater purpose for what God is doing. So, go ahead and turn your Bible. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. This book is one that reads like a novel. It's a book that you could read just one afternoon and read the story and see what happens here. So I tell you, we, um, of, of all the books in the Bible, I think I like this one so much because we see a young lady who basically has to be told, Esther, this isn't all by accident. Everything you have been given, everything good that's come to you, the death of your parents... You being raised by Mordecai, your beauty, God has used all of your circumstances for Him. It's the providence of God. And you see His hand moving and working through Him. Verse 1, these events took place during the days of Ahauernos. Now, we're going to have some words here that are going to be very challenging to pronounce. Ahauernos has two names here in this story. He also goes by the great name, which is also fun to pronounce, Exertes. So in your Bible, whether it says Ahauerwals or Exertes, it's the king. Let me tell you about this king. This guy, I don't normally describe people this way, but we're going to see this throughout this entire book. This man is a fool. All he does is make mistakes. He can't do anything right. He's drunk all the time, and his advisors give him bad advice. I mean, everything this guy listens to is bad for him. He doesn't make one decision in the entire book. The only good decision he made in the book is a Mary Esther. And even then, he really couldn't even make that. The steward had to even help him make that decision. He is the king. He's foolish. He's prideful. He's arrogant. He's incredibly spoiled and wealthy. Yet God is going to use him. He's a lousy king. He is ruling a nation called Persia. Persia in this point in history... This is in the time of 483 B.C., so about 500 years before Jesus. Persia stretched all the way from India to Ethiopia, current-day cities, countries. The headquarters of it is in Susa. That's the area called Babylon. That area is in current-day Iran. So we see this nation, Persia, which is also the, the Babylonians in the Bible, 
they went over and captured and destroyed Israel. And then they brought all the Israelites, over a million of them, to this land. They're in what we call exile. During this time, some other books of the Bible that were written are Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezekiel, the book of Daniel. These are the Jewish people living, along with Esther, living in exile, meaning they're in a place they don't want to be in. They were captured. Although they were treated pretty well, and the place they're in is very wealthy. There's a very powerful nation of Persia. This is when Iran was at its peak in world history. You know, if you trace world history, you see different nations that rise up. Like right now, the United States is the most powerful nation in the world. That doesn't mean we'll always be the most powerful nation in the world, but if you trace world history, we are number one right now. If you go back 2,500 years, Persia is the most powerful nation in the world. After Persia, you're going to see Rome. And so you just look through world history, and you can see the rise of empires or strong nations that rule and dominate the world. Right now, Esther is going to be the queen of the most powerful nation in the world. During the time of King David, it was Israel. During the time of Solomon, it was Israel. After Solomon, because of his lack of devotion to the Lord, God destroyed Israel and broke it up. During the time of Moses, who was it? It was Egypt. They led the nation. They were the most powerful, dominant figure. So, she is at this place that is very wealthy, very strong, led by a pitiful, foolish king who basically had nothing to do but party all the time and worry about his ego. That's all because they owned, they had nothing else to do. They owned a whole world. So that's our situation we're at. So it says here, in those days, King Ahauros reigned from his royal throne in the fortress of Susa. That's the capital there in Persia. He held a feast in the third year of his reign for all his officials and staff, the army of Persia and Medina, the nobles and the officials from the provinces. He displayed the glorious wealth of his kingdom and the magnificent splendor of his greatness for a total of 180 days. That's six months. This man has a party for six months. When I have a party, all I get to go out to lunch with Sherry, and that's it. I mean, it's lunch. This goes on for half a year. So that just shows when you're partying for six months, you're bored, you have nothing else to do. So that's what's occurring here. At the end of this time, the king held a week-long banquet in the garden courtyard of the royal palace for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were present in the fortress of Susa. White and blue linen hangings were fastened with the fine white and purple linen cords of silver rods and marble columns. Gold and silver couches were arranged to a mosaic pavement of red, feldspar, marble, and mother-of-pearl and precious stones. That means they were wealthy and they pulled out all the stops so people could see their wealth. Drinks were served in an array of gold goblets, each with a different design. Royal wine flowed freely according to the king's bounty. The drinking was according to royal decree. There are no restrictions. The king had ordered every wine steward in his household to serve whatever each person wanted. That means all they did was drink for six months. You get anything you want. The royal wine is served, which is the premium wine. It's unlimited. 
Queen Vashti, this is the current queen of King Hauerwas. Let me tell you about this queen. She was actually more noble and righteous than her king. She was the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar preceded King Hauerwas. So he married someone who was in, had royal lineage. She was most likely spoiled, but she did have more dignity than King Hauerwas. It says here, this queen, Queen Vashti, also gave a feast for the women of King Ahauerwals' palace. So she's going to even throw a party for all the ladies. Drinks were served. I'm sorry. On the seventh day, that's verse, verse 10. On the seventh day when the king was feeling good from the wine, so it means he's drunk, Ahauerwals commanded Mahuthaman, Bista, Arbana, Bigtha, Abatha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who personally serve him, to bring Queen Vashti before him with her royal crown. He wanted to show off her beauty to the people and the officials because she was very beautiful. Now, I'm going to read into what's probably likely going on. The Bible didn't tell exactly this, but Queen Vashti is extremely attractive queen. The king is drunk. It's the last day of the party. He wants to show off his wife, his queen. And it says there, bring her out in her royal crown. What is, might be implied, because if she could have just got dressed up in her nice gown and waved everybody with a crown, that would have been so much a big deal. So probably what's being implied here is all he wanted her to wear was a royal crown. That's it, no clothes. So he wanted to literally, he's, you know, the scene that's being presented here, he's drunk, he's known for his foolish decisions, so he wants to drag his wife out there with no clothes on to show off how good looking she is. Well, she doesn't want to go for that, rightfully so. It says here, but verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command that was delivered by his eunuchs. The king became furious and his anger burned within him. The king, this poor king can't ever do anything, so all he does is get mad. And every decision he makes is influenced by other people. He can't make his own decision. So the king consults the wise men who understood the times. Now, let's apply this to our life. There were these wise men. They were giving him advice. And the advice they give him is always bad. Now, God works through the advice. But I think for us, who are the wise men of our day, of our culture's time? We do have wise men in our time today. That would be maybe uh, experts, maybe people on TV. You read about in the news. They're on social media. Maybe you have seen some people who claim to know things. But their advice doesn't line up with the Bible. It's not scriptural advice. We as Bible-believing Christians, when we hear something, we need to make sure, okay, does this line up with the Bible? Is what I'm being told at school, at work, certainly on the internet, TV, you're watching Fox News, does this line up 
with what God's Word says? Because there are people who claim they know our times. They understand 2021. They know where the future of America lies. But we know only God holds the future. I mean, think about it. The last time we held our contemporary worship service was March 8, 2020. That's over a year and a half ago it's been since we've held this worship service. Today's the first day back. At the beginning of March in 2020, if you would have told us, if you remember that was back then, if you go back that far, we were having a D-Now weekend. All the teenagers were up here. If we could have, if I would have stood up here and said, you know, we're only going to have one more of these services, and then we're going to take 20 months off. You all wouldn't have, no one would have been able to predict that. But these men here, these are his wise men. One of the things of our Christian life, we need to make sure we are aware of who we're listening to. So it's normal procedure to confer with experts in the law and justice. Verse 14, the most trusted ones, here are these names in, Karshana, Shethar, Adamatha, Tarshish, Marys, Marcena, and Mekumen. They were the seven officials of Persia and Medina who had personal access to the king and occupied the highest positions in the kingdom. The king asked, according to the law, what should be done with Queen Vashti? since she refused to obey King Ahauerwas's command that was delivered to the eunuchs. He can't make a decision, so he asked his seven advisors. And they said, this just shows you how out of touch they are. Megumen said in the presence of the king and his officials, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the officials, and all the peoples who are in every one of the king of Harawas' provinces. I don't believe that. I believe probably most folks thought this king was a joke. When you're throwing a party for 180 days, and all you do is sit around and drink all day, and show off your queen, folks probably didn't take him very serious. The only reason they listened to him, because he had the authority to kill you if you said no. So when you have yes men around you, and you talk to your wise men, you say, wise men, what should I do about my queen? She's not obeying my orders. I'm troubled by this. And he says, Mr. King, I'm troubled too. Not only has your queen offended you, she's offended me. <laughs> and she's offended all the people in the provinces. This is a serious problem. I don't believe this really was a serious problem. I don't think anybody in Persia even cared what Queen Vashti was doing. You know, really... You might see it on the news. You might hear about it on TV. But the folks that do stuff in Washington and in Hollywood, does that, does that really affect your life? Do you lose sleep over it? Do you do what they do? Do you even do what they say? I mean, that's kind of what we have here. Where the, the yes men are giving him just whatever he wants to hear. And that's what he's being told. Verse 17, for the queen's action will become public knowledge and all the women will, and will cause them to despise their husbands to say, King Aharawas ordered Queen Vashti brought before him, but she did not come. So, Miss Queen, what she does, it's going to influence all the other people. Before this day of over, the noble women of Persia, Medina, 
who hear about the Queen's Act will say the same thing to all the king's officials, resulting in more contempt and fury. Meaning, if one person disobeys, does that mean everyone disobeys? That's what they're being told. And when we're told that for us as Christians, we have to remember this story. That's what the king's being told. Queen Vashti didn't want to come because she didn't want to embarrass herself in front of a bunch of drunk men. She's actually very noble. But they're telling the king, says what she's doing will influence all, everyone else and all the women of the nation will rebel. And we've got to get them under control. Verse nine, 19. If it meets the king's approval, he should personally issue a royal decree. Let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it cannot be revoked. Vashti is not to enter King Aharawas' presence. And her royal position is to be given to another woman who is more worthy than she. The king decreed, or the, the decree the king issues will be heard throughout the vast kingdom. So all women will honor their husbands from the greatest to the least. So their advice is we need to replace her. For her disobedience to the king, we need to go find you a new queen. She can't come into your presence anymore. She lost her crown, her tiara. The king and his counselors approved the proposal and he followed Mechamen's advice, which is bad advice. He sent letters to all the ro royal provinces, to each province in his own script and to each ethnic group in its own language so that every man should be master of his own house and speak the language of his own people. So this letter is being sent to everyone that the queen has now lost her royal position because she did not honor the king. And I think our principle we see here is this King Ahauerwals made a foolish decision based on bad advice. And who we listen to is so much about our spiritual life. In fact, we see this in Psalm 1-1. Who's speaking into your ear, who is giving who you're looking at, where you rest your eyes, what you watch matters and influences you. Let me illustrate this. Flip over in your Bible. I think we have it up on the screen. Psalm 1-1. Look what God's Word says. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. There is nothing more that the devil wants to do is to have you walking in the advice of the wicked. That's how your children go astray. That's how families break up. They just took bad advice. They're, they're being influenced. You know that term today, a social media influencer. All influence is, is advice. You're being encouraged to do or act this certain way because someone else is pushing you in that direction. And the Bible's telling us that we need to be, that word happy can also be translated as blessed. We don't want to be folks who walk in the, in the ways and the vice of wicked. Meaning if the vice and the guidance we're, getting, we're receiving, if it is not lining up with Scripture, folks, it's wrong. Now, God can absolutely use wicked and pagan people. And that's what's going on in this entire story of Esther. He's taking people who do not acknowledge him, King Ahauerwas, and he's going to basically save the Jewish people 
by raising up a new queen called Esther in a faraway land. That's not even their land. Or stand, keep going here in this Bible verse. Look what it keeps saying up here on the board. Or stand in the pathway with sinners. So they're saying, you don't even stand. It says you, you're not to walk, you're not to stand, and you're not to sit. It says there, sit in the company of mockers. What that means there is you don't sit. If somebody who's negative, who's griping and grumbling, if you're sitting and hanging around them all the time at work, their attitude will spill into your life. And he's saying here, he's saying with, with where you go, look at the verbs that are used. Walk, stand, sit. He's saying that's not for you if they're wicked people. You just don't hang around those people because you're going to be influenced by them. So much of Christian life is who are we being influenced by? First of all, we want to make sure we're influenced by the Lord, we give Him our best, and the people we surround ourselves. That's why having a strong church family and friends within church is so important because they're, they're pushing you to the Lord. Worldliness is the opposite of godliness. Christ wants you, wants us as believers, to be more and more like Him. The devil, the wicked is wanting us to go the opposite of that. That's the ways of the world. This will be a constant battle in your life. Every day, no matter what your age is. There is a desire, a draw towards worldliness. You know, in this story here, we see King Hauerwas. And he, we see this man about his vast wealth and his attitude. And he's one of these guys who just wanted more. If you study American business history, there was a man, the most wealthy man who's ever lived. Because at this time in Persian history, King Ahauerwals is the most wealthy man. There was a man named John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, he was the founder of Standard Oil back in the mid to late 1800s. He was extremely wealthy. Wealthiest man in American history for today's dollars. And in fact, he was so successful, he started Standard Oil. He ran it out of New York as well as Cleveland, Ohio. He has a unique biography worth studying. If you ever, um, the antitrust laws were used against him in 1911 and broke up Standard Oil because he just, he owned all, if there was oil in the U.S., he owned it. Nobody else had any oil but Mr. Rockefeller. If you, ever shot, if you ever go to Chevron, BP, or Exxon, you can thank Mr. Rockefeller. That's where you're getting your oil from. That's, those are some of the breakout, breakup companies that came from Mr. Rockefeller with that. But he was once asked a question. And he, the guy, everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, he was just good. He, he, he was very, very good with money. He was once asked the question. So, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Because you own everything. You're a billionaire. And, back, and that was in 1800s when billionaires didn't exist. And his answer was when he was asked how much money is enough, his answer was just a little bit more. If there was a dollar bill out there floating around, he needed it. His goal was to get all the money. I mean, he was just um, a man of greed, although he had good business sense, but he was also a man of wealth. And he had this desire for more, more, more. In this story, King Hauerwas, it wasn't so much that he was greedy. This man was prideful and arrogant. 
He wanted people to admire him. His, admire his wealth, admire his wife, admire his parties. And what he was running into is they didn't. They did not respect him because he had no character. He had no, no morals. He was just a, a pagan, wicked king. And the story we see in our life, God is going to take a pagan, wicked king, and he's going to use this man and raise up a beautiful, godly young woman named Esther with a grand, great purpose of saving her people. And ultimately, even long-term, releasing them and allowing them to go home. They were saved for God's purpose and God's glory. Now, in your life, you are surrounded by King Ahauerwasis or Mr. Rockefellers. Maybe you know someone who's, who's very greedy. Maybe you know someone who's very prideful. How is God using prideful, greedy, arrogant people in your life, people whom you don't even like, to point you and to point others to Christ? The providence of God means in every and all situations, He is working, He is moving. It's not an accident. It's not circumstances. It's not coincidence. It's the Lord. God brought you here. God saved you. God had a, has a plan for young Nathaniel, almost seven years old, who's just baptized this morning. And he's going to follow the Lord the rest of the days of his life. That's the Lord's plan for us. And maybe your commitment this morning, you've come here, our first ever 1115 worship service, our contemporary worship service, and you've been out of church for a while, and the Lord's speaking to you and says, you need to be in my house worshiping me every week. It's not an accident. God uses our circumstances for His glory. And I think spiritual maturity and what the Lord's speaking to us, and we, we see throughout this entire book of, book of Esther, is when we are fretted and fearful about situations, when we get bad report from doctor, we don't do good at school, when we feel like our friends are abandoned, or we don't have any friends, say, God, what are you trying to teach me? And who are you going to bring in my life? What's going on right now? That teachable attitude says, Lord, I'm listening. Show me, God, what's for me. If that is you, your prayer this morning says, Lord, I want to see your providence, your sovereignty work in any and every situation. Some of you here this morning, God's brought you here and you witnessed a baptism, but you've never been baptized. And you need to get baptized. It's the Lord speaking to you, saying you need to be in that water too. Next week, you need to be in a baptism service. That's what it means to follow Christ in believer's baptism. God has a great plan for you. His greatest plan is salvation. God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. But he knew that wasn't going to work. They didn't get to stay there very long. They disobeyed and they were driven out of that garden. God knew that was going to happen. And his master plan was Jesus coming into the world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Being born into the world and then ultimately dying on a cross so you and I can be saved. And this morning I ask you, have you been saved? 
Have you given your life to Christ? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? That's God's plan for you. That's God's purpose. And that is why the Lord, whether it's Esther, whether it's Jesus, or whether it's you, He is working His plan. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And in this prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get saved and respond to God this morning. You give your life to Christ today. Let's bow our heads and pray about it. Jesus, I pray if there's anybody here, and there are folks here who are not saved, they have never trusted in you as their Savior. Maybe they identify with King of Howerwall, so they're just living for themselves, just going through life wherever the wind blows. Lord, you want to save and deliver us from that. And God, I pray that they will pray this prayer. I'm about to lead us. And they commit to you. And I want you to say this prayer along with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I trust in you. Jesus, from this day on, I'm yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want you to look up. If you said that prayer, the Bible says that means you're saved. If you said that prayer a minute, you just gave your heart to Jesus. The best decision you can ever make. Everyone who's saved has prayed and accepted Christ as their Savior. Being saved means you need a Savior. Jesus is our Savior. That's what it means for us to pray the sinner's prayer. We're being saved by the blood of Jesus. If you said that prayer, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I want you to make it public this morning. So we're going to stand together, and our band's going to lead us in our closing song here. And if you want to come forward, you come take my hand. Come let me know. Walk forward right here. Say, Pastor, I said that prayer. I'm ready to get baptized. I'm ready to join this church. Now is your time to respond to God.